You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney Podcast on Rivals.com with your host, the Godfather of Recruiting, Mike Farrell. If Dave Barry actually gets that drop and I say poo-pooing too many times, that's going to be at the beginning of this podcast. And National Recruiting Analyst, Adam Gorney. If that's what I sound like, this podcast ends today. Welcome to the Godfather and Gorney podcast, or if you want to call it the Gorney and Godfather podcast, you can if you'd like. Uh, I'm Mike Farrell on the East Coast, National Recruiting Director for Rivals.com. Adam Gorney joining me from the West Coast, uh, National Recruiting Analyst for Rivals.com. Dave Barry, once again, absent, no idea where he is. Um, it's a little disappointing, the producer of one of the fastest rising podcasts on the internet uh, and skipping, skipping out. So we'll give him hell throughout the show itself, but we'll be nice to him at the end because he's the only one who knows how to put this up online. And, uh, you know, that's kind of important for us. So let's start it off with a big potential commitment that's happening Thursday. By the time some people uh, listen to this, it could happen already. And that's uh, running back James Cook, the younger brother of Dalvin. You always got to say that. Uh, Looks like he probably heading to Georgia. At least that's all indications right now. There was Louisville in there for a while. He was committed to Florida State for a while. But the big news here is he's he's one of two five stars in the class was Amir White, which is somewhat historic. So what are your thoughts on Cook? You've seen him as much as I have. Yeah, absolutely. And if people love Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, that combination and throwing DeAndre Swift, now you're going to have maybe even a better duo of uh, Zamir White, the best running back in the class, James Cook. And we always say Dalvin's brother, but really they're not similar players much at all. Uh, but Cook definitely delivers. Uh, he's going to be able to get to the outside. He could go inside. He could catch the ball out of the backfield. So Kirby continues to dominate recruiting, loading up at running back. And it's been working with Chubb, Michelle, and Swift this year. And next year it could be Swift, White, and Cook. Yeah, and I was, I was talking um... – to our UGA sports.com staff, uh, you know, about the potential commitment. And again, if it happens, it happens by the time you listen to this, James Cook could officially be a Georgia Bulldog, or maybe he'll surprise us all and go someplace else who knows in recruiting. But um, we were talking about their recent running backs and, you know, Todd Gurley was a guy that I probably should have made a five-star. I saw him at the Shrine Bowl, fell in love with him. I was on the army committee, army bowl committee at the time, tried to get him in, but they had, they were full up at their running back spots. Couldn't get him in, and then I decided to hold off, and I should have made him a five-star. Keith Marshall, everybody had as a five-star except for us. I didn't like him as much, but he was still in that 50 range um, in the same class. Then you fast-forward to Nick Chubb, who was one spot away from being a five-star. Again, that was kind of me. There were some other people who didn't believe Chubb was a five-star as well, but I sort of held us back a little bit there. Um, And Sonny Michelle was a five-star, and now you've got these guys. But also you got DeAndre Swift from last year who, you know, was one spot away from being a five-star as well. They're making history recruiting back-to-back-to-back five-star quarterbacks. Never happened before. Now they've done it with uh, Eason Fromm and Justin Fields this year. And now they're the third team that I can remember to get five-star running backs in the same class. Mark Tyler, of course, who you remember from long, long ago uh, with Joe McKnight. And then last year, Kalen LeBourne. And um, Cam Akers in the same class at Florida State. So historic recruiting by Kirby Smart. And my theory was this. These kids are so cocky these days and so full of of them themselves and their ability. And then I'm not saying it in a bad way that they don't care 
I mean, James Cook didn't want to follow his brother to Florida State. It's kind of a smart move because you make your own legacy, right? So let's say you have a, a, a really, really good career, but you're always going to be Dalvin's little brother. But he doesn't care that Zamir White's in this class. And we see a lot more of that these days. It, it looks a little bit like what Alabama does on defense. You could be a five-star and sit on the sidelines for two years, but that one year gets you into the NFL and you're a superstar immediately. And it really does shape up like that. I mean, if we had it right or wanted to go just an extra step, we could we, we could be talking about four back-to-back five-star running backs going to Georgia. And uh, they've produced, too. You know, look at Gurley. Uh, you know, look at Chubb, what Chubb is doing. And then the, the guys coming in, we think very, very highly of obviously rating them as five stars. So, uh, I think absolutely Georgia's taking over the SEC East. They're building their program <clears throat> just like Alabama did, uh, in the SEC West with Saban and their offense with the quarterbacks and now the running backs looks a whole, a whole lot what Alabama likes to do on defense, bring in everybody. The kids don't care about not maybe not being the superstar immediately, um, but they know they're going to get on the field. And, and the way Kirby's done it this year has been brilliant. Chubb gets the ball. Swift gets the ball. Michelle gets the ball. You know, the quarterbacks are playing really well and they're dominating games. So, you know, credit to them and how they're handling this. And even more impressive than Alabama uh, is the fact that these kids are sharing carries and they're still recruiting at this level. So think of that as, you know, Again, on the defensive side of the ball for Alabama, you know that you're a Deshaun hand and you're going to Alabama as the number one player in the country, but you know you possibly sit behind a Jonathan Allen for two years. You didn't expect three, but you expected two. It's it's different in Georgia. They're splitting time, and kids don't want to split time. James Cook wants to hear that he's going to get the ball 40 times a game. Zamir White wants to hear that he's going to get the ball 40 times a game, but they see that it works. They see that that Gurley and Marshall worked, and then and then Chubb, you know, had his big year. But then he and Michelle worked, and they see DeAndre Swift working in with those guys this year, even though he's a true freshman. So it's even more impressive in that respect. And you know, going back and looking at it, ranking wise, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, Gurley should have been a five star because he passed all the qualifications. He was a superstar on the field, despite the suspension and, and some injuries. Uh, and he was a first rounder. Um, Chubb's ranking is going to look, I mean, Marshall was a bit overranked, um, being in that 50 range. Chubb's ranking is going to look about right. Um, because only because of that injury though. Uh, because if he didn't miss time with that injury, I think he'd be, you know, a surefire first rounder. And we'd be talking about him potentially setting records. Um, you know, rushing records of Georgia. Then you, you, you look at Swift and it's too early to tell, but he looks very good as well. So the guys we didn't rank as five stars, you know, mainly Gurley uh, and Chubb are the two that most people point out. One out of two of them, I think, was was a five-star talent in Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb. It will probably be drafted second, third round, which is right about that spot being right outside the five-star range. So, you know, but again, had they all been five stars, we'd be talking even more history right now. Kirby's getting it done. Let's move on to the team that, team that Kirby's trying to take care of this weekend. And poor Jim McElwain. <laughs> I mean, listen, I don't, I, death threats are always a serious issue. I, I've had threats, physical harm threats to me. From we, some people on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you have seen, as I have, other analysts at Rivals have actual death threats. Yeah. 
there was one we could we could speak to, but we're not going to speak to. Um, I've been sued, uh, not not where it's gone to court, but I've been served with papers, height discrimination, uh, you name it. I mean, was that just, for me? It <laughs> <laughs> wasn't from you, but you know, and, and I've been cornered at camps. Yeah. I mean, you, you saw our old boss throw me right in front of a 500 pound guy uh, out in L.A. <laughs> and said, here, go deal with this. <laughs> yeah. So I don't take any of it lightly because I've, I've faced it all. And I've faced, but I've also faced the scrutiny and criticism Jim McElwain's faced on a daily basis. Every time I get on a message board, someone's telling me to kill myself or do something horrible to myself. But don't play the poor me card, which is exactly what he played. I mean, do you disagree? No, no. And, and he did. And he wasn't specific about the threats. And what seemed odd about it, and I was reading an Orlando Sentinel story, uh, it seemed like they were a little bit questionable. Like, did they really happen? What are the details behind these threats? Are they from this week? Did they happen long time ago? I mean, when you're playing at a program like Florida, you're going to have crazy fans. Uh, people are going to deliver death threats. And for him to come out and be like, acting like, oh, I'm the only one who's ever received this. Uh, I'm the only one who's ever heard this and feel sorry for me because of it, but then going on a diatribe about today's society and that's how it is. It was just kind of an odd timing thing. The university didn't exactly back him up in their statement about what was going on. It seemed like when he talked to the university, he didn't give incredible details on it. So it's all really an odd situation going on down there. Yeah, I mean, man up. Listen, okay, if they were recent, say they're recent. If they were a long time ago, let's say it was after the second time Alabama absolutely pasted you in the SEC championship game, then tell us it was then. You know, have documentation. Um there were a lot of people that felt that Kevin Sumlin was trying to get sympathy from that letter that he received at his house uh, with racial overtones. But there was a letter like that was that wasn't Kevin Sumlin didn't write that to himself. That was a real, real deal. Um, proves proves something. You know, there's got to be voicemails. There's got to be. I remember I was driving to a game 100 years ago and somebody from. West Virginia called, and like an idiot, I picked it up. And now I have a rule that I don't pick up unless you're in my phone. I'll call you back, maybe, but I'm not picking up random numbers. And I was driving, and somebody with a West Virginia accent uh, started swearing at me because Taj Boyd decommitted from West Virginia. And um, I think at the time he committed to Tennessee, and then he decommitted from Tennessee, and then went to I – I can't remember it all. And they ended up getting Geno Smith in the end, who turned out to be a better quarterback for them anyhow. But they were yelling at me and berating me because I broke the story that Taj Boyd had decommitted. Um, it's going to happen. Now, again, I picked that up live. Had that gone to voicemail, I would have had proof. If McElwain's getting death threats, and we're talking plural, there's got to be proof of these. He's trying to sweep it under the rug, saying, oh, I don't want to distract my team now. But you opened your mouth. And now I think you should have to prove and come out with the proof that you actually did get these. And le and let's see how serious this is. Is there ramped up security for him and the team at the, at the Georgia game this weekend? Has there been ramped up security walking to and from practice, to and from his car, all those kinds of things? I haven't read that. I don't think so. So I don't know where all this is coming from. It's a very weird story. Yeah, but let's let's talk about a guy that's guaranteed to make $4.5 million, by the way, 
and has a $13 million buyout in, in Jim McElwain that we're supposed to feel sorry for. Um, you know, listen, I don't make $13 million or $4 million or $5 million. I, I don't expect anybody to have sympathy for me. When rankings come out and people tell me I'm the worst person on earth and I should jump off a cliff or that I was a mistake being born, all that stuff, it's like that's just life. Uh, it, it's, it's part of the scrutiny. His scrutiny is a thousand times more than mine, but we all can see through this. Now, if he did make it up, then we're talking Manti Teo craziness here, like crazy, right. because you could be fired, I believe, for cause if you make that up. I don't think he made it up. I think there were. I think he brought it up because he's three and three and his team stinks and they're about to get pasted against Georgia. Uh, and I don't think it was recent. But, you know, listen, you can't bring that up and then a few days later apologize, which he's done, that he shouldn't have brought it up and blah, blah, blah. But I, I mentioned his salary because the, the USA Today salary chart came out, which I love this. I'm going to be writing on Friday my three-point stance, who's overpaid, who's underpaid. Uh, I love this stuff because there's not one coach on here that makes less than – any of us. I'm trying to see if anybody makes like eight bucks an hour. Nope. There's nobody that makes less than any of us. So they could all be scrutinized. But at the top is Nick Saban. Thank goodness. Finally, he's number one. Dabo's number two. But that guy, Jim Harbaugh, who's got a $20.5 million buyout, makes $7 million a year. Your thoughts, Mr. Gordon? If I'm Urban Meyer, I mm-hmm. walk over to the uh, administration building and demand an immediate raise because he's fourth on the list and he makes $6.4 million a year and he has dominated everybody and Jim Harbaugh's paid more than him. And obviously this is a contest of like, we can't say on this podcast, but Urban Meyer should be paid more than Jim Harbaugh. Uh, he's done more. He's proven more. He's done more for the university. Absolutely. Urban Meyer should be atop this list. If all right, I'll, all right, I'll give you Saban. But other than that, Urban Meyer should be number two. He's getting screwed out of at least $2 million. Screwed. So let's let's look at number one, national champions, numerous times. Number two, national championship. Number three, never won a conference. Number four, national champion. Number Number five, five. (laughs) at least he's won a division. He he won a division, but he's For a guy who's on the hot seat every year, even entering this year, and probably off the hot seat now because Khalil Tate has saved his job. Rich Jeez. Rod, Rich six Rod, million, six million dollar buyout, a two, a bigger bonus, a max bonus than than anybody on the list. Yeah, which if funny... he gets that bonus would put him right around the Dabo Swinney range. Man, he's got an agent. He does, but you know what? He was a hot commodity after that awesome job he did at Michigan. So, um, but again, his buyout is nothing, six point five. So he's he's happy. Khalil Tate is uh, is his guy and. Uh, but Rich Rod at number five sticks out like a sore thumb. Number six, national championship. And, and of course, I'll name the names. Nick Saban, number one. Uh, obviously, multiple national championship championships. Dabo Swinney, number two, one national championship. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, number three, hasn't won a division. Uh, Urban Meyer, number four, national championship. Rich Rodriguez has won a division, but uh, really sticks out like a sore thumb. Jimbo, national champion at number six. David Shaw, number seven. I believe he's he's won a division, right? Uh, yeah, I, I believe so. Plus, uh, a phenomenal coach. I think your cat's having a heart attack because of Rich Rodriguez's uh, uh, salary. 
Is, that's what I'm hearing in the background. Is your cat is just like, what? You go what? down the top ten list, and I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll settle this issue. <laughs> you tell your cat to, to settle. I mean, Rich Rod deserves every penny he's getting. Uh, David Shaw, number seven. You know, again, a very good coach. Tom Herman at number eight. Now, hot commodity, uh, twenty million dollar buyout, just hired by Texas. Obviously, he's going to make a ton of money. Uh, so that's not unexpected. Gary Patterson, TCU. Very good to see him at number nine. That's impressive because TCU is not a big school. Okay. And then Kevin Sumlin at number 10. So I just went through them. Number 10, Kevin Sumlin, $10 million buyout, fighting for his job. So two guys out of the top 10 are on the hot seat right now. Um, the others, you know, a few of them are new coaches. Um, and then there's some really established guys on here. So I think out of this 10, the guy that has to prove the most by far is Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, third in his own division twice. It looks like he could finish third or fourth in his division the division this time. Uh, you know, disappointment. I, there's no way around it. He's earning $7 million a year. He's got a $20.5 million buyout. Everybody else, other than Rich Rodriguez, we know, and, and some others who are on the hot seat, um, have done really, really well for their schools. And, uh, you know, he's got a big turnaround in front of him because that team does not look like it's emerging as a national power. Ohio State still is the king. Penn State has has been dominant in the last year or so, and he has not done, uh, I don't think, what anybody had hoped he would do. No Michigan fan said, all right, we just hired Jim Harbaugh. We're going to finish third in the Big Ten East twice in a row. No, nobody wanted that. And I'm going to let you catch your breath because clearly moving the cat out of your room winded you. It really it's did. A tr- it's a tremendous example of the shape that uh, we are in as analysts. It really did. Because <laughs> you're, you're having trouble keeping up. Either your cat is a bobcat and weighs like 100 pounds or you're in bad, bad shape. I don't yeah. know which, but I, actually I do know which and I won't say which out loud. But let's yeah, just say there's no, bob, there's no bobcat roaming around <laughs> the Gordy household with a new baby. Let's talk about some schools cheaping out. And Notre Dame doesn't count here. You know, Brian Kelly at 1.6. Obviously, there's a lot of upfront and deferments and all that other fancy stuff at Notre Dame. But uh, how about Nebraska? Uh, you know, 2.9 million. Oregon, 2.9 million for their head coaches. Um, Taggart being a new head coach, that seems kind of cheap to me. North Carolina at 2.2 million. What about Obviously, Lincoln Riley at 2.1 million? That's cheap. I mean, he's young. Uh, I keep I keep telling people that the older you are, the more money you should get paid because I'm the oldest person on staff. So I, I, I agree with the seniority thing. But, um, you know, you look at some of these big schools, you know, North Carolina, 2.2 million. They're cheap. Pitt, Pitt 1.8. I mean, how do you expect to win? Uh, and Pitt, especially after losing, what, five coaches in five years or right. something like that? Right. They go out and throw 1.8 million at Narduzzi. And I mean... Listen, all of you, for shame, pay your coaches. Uh, and then there's one at 28 at Orgeron with a $9 million buyout, which I don't even think is accurate. I think it's higher than that prior to December 31st. I think it turns into $9 million after December 31st. Yeah, I had read 12 a bunch of times, so I think it's probably yeah. in that range. But you want to talk about a good agent. Rich Rodriguez has the best agent on earth. Uh, Ed Orgeron has a pretty good agent with that type of buyout when he was a he was a, a clear second choice, possibly third choice, and uh, interim guy. But I love this. I love dissecting 
these guys and what they make. I mean, Kirk Ferentz is making $4.5 million. When's the last time Iowa won a division? I love it. I mean, people pick on us all the time. Let's pick on these guys. And you know who's underpaid is Mark D'Antonio at 16, 4.3 million, $7 million buyout. Uh, he's making, uh, what, $3.5 million less uh, than Jim Harbaugh? Yeah, yeah. And he's beaten him two out of three years, and he's gone to a playoff? I mean, come on. One of the names that's interesting, I'd like to see what Clay Helton makes compared to Jim Mora being in the same town, same pay grade. And we talk about this in our family all the time about, you know, regional pay scales that $3 million in Nebraska, it was like $7 million in California, just because of cost of living and everything else. I wonder what Clay Helton makes in the, in the same town. He's not on the list. He's, they couldn't, they couldn't get his numbers. They couldn't get Mark Rick's numbers. Those are some of the guys kind of in big cities compared to a, uh, you know, the, the smaller, you know, Tallahassee's of the world where $5.7 million goes a long way. In L.A., that gets you a, a shack on the side of the road. Yeah, I'm looking at the asterisk here as to why they don't have those numbers, but it mentions an asterisk, but I don't see the reason for it. I don't know. But isn't there a little asterisk there? There is an asterisk, but there's an asterisk by a lot of them, especially down that middle, that total yeah. pay. I don't know. There's nothing better than having an asterisk and then not having any mention of it below. <laughs> oh, buyout owed figures are the amount a school would owe a coach if fired without cause. Yeah, but that's the buyout. That's just, yeah, that's, uh, not that's, that's a quotation mark. That's not an Whatever. I don't know why they couldn't get those in. I'm just going to make up salaries and say Clay Helton's making less than Jim Mora, which is funny. And uh, I'm going to say Mark Rick got on the cheap. I think they got him on the cheap. I think Mark Rick, you're probably talking – uh, Lovey Smith territory of three million dollars, yeah. which would be an absolute joke as well. Lovey Smith with a sixteen and a half million dollar buyout—that's hilarious. Um, yeah, some of these, like Todd Graham, everybody says they're going to fire him. Well, can Arizona State afford a twelve point three million dollar buyout? Right. They're they're lucky he's winning games because sometimes they just can't do that. Well, it's just so. incredible. A guy like, you know, Northwestern, which isn't known necessarily as a football power and as a high academic school, low enrollment is paying Pat Fitzgerald 500,000, $600,000 more than Nebraska is paying Mike Riley. So that's an, inc that's an incredibly low number for a team that, you know, kind of prides itself on its football tradition over the years. Yeah. And you got low buyouts on Gus and Brett Bielema. We think Bielema is probably gone, even though people, some people like him, I guess. Um, <laughs> You know, Kingsbury's got a low buyout. You know, these are these are valuable pieces of information for people to have. So USA Today props to you for giving me something to write on Friday because I had nothing to write about, actually. Um, Vols, is this the week? Yeah, you know, they, they suspended two players, including their best player, uh, the running back. Um, is this the week he gets canned? Do they lose to Kentucky? And actually credit to Butch Jones for doing the right thing and holding the discipline line a little bit and – you know, you're mid-season and you get a citation for that. It's just not really good. It, it kind of probably speaks to what the thinking is inside the locker room. Uh, if, if this is the week, I mean, Kentucky is favored in this game. They haven't, they've beaten Tennessee once since 1984. <laughs> so that's not a good track. Yeah, record. that's not a good track record. And a lot of people expect Kentucky to go in there and win that game, especially with John Kelly out now. 
I don't know if this is the week. I thought last week was the week that they would just move on from him and cut ties. They might wait through the whole season, but if that eight and four thing is their last defining hope, this would probably end that and get rid of him. I think it all depends on how they play and and how they perform. If they go in there and lose twenty eight nothing, he's probably gone. If they go in there and win, he can't. You can't fire him after a win. And if they lose close, they probably keep him. So they've kind of bungled this, especially because they could have cut ties at least twice already. Um, uh, so my guess is that he's coaching next week too. And I do like the suspensions because, you know, again, you have to have discipline. And uh, I, I was a little bit hard on D'Antonio in Michigan State because L.J. Scott got cited for driving without a proper driver license for the seventh, seventh time. time. Bad driver, geez. And guess what? He was suspended for the whole first series <laughs> of the game. That taught a lesson. I mean, if that is discipline. Now, again, driving without a license, I get, you know, it's not D-Weed, it's, it's it's not drugs, it's but come on, seven times. And and then I think the quote I read, we got a fix for him. So they, they probably went to the DMV with him <laughs> and said, here you go. And I like this kid. I think he, he was a good kid in high school. He's a good running back. He's a heck of a football player. They probably went to the DMV and said, listen, this is the way it works. You have to wait. They give you a number. If the number is 56 and they're calling 27, you can't just yeah, leave. You just can't go to the front of the you line here. Yeah, you have to sit there all no, day. You got to you, you got to sit here all day and get your license, but you'd need a license to drive. And, but I mean, they should have suspended him for a little bit more than one series. I hate stuff like that. I think I, I'm one of those guys who says, you know, if it's Dewey, somebody send a message. I thought urban with JT Barrett could have sent a message and suspended him for the whole season. Uh, and really just, you know, but that's, a, that's apparently as much as a um, targeting penalty is a Dewey. It's about the same thing, which is hilarious to me as well. But you know, good for Butch Jones. Um, I don't know if he, there weren't any great quotes about that, but I did see uh, I did see some funny brick by brick memes out there with uh, I think it hash or something. <laughs> so, something they were very very funny. Um, the, the Tennessee, unfortunately, right now is just they're just fodder for jokes. And uh, if they do beat Kentucky, then maybe we can lay off them for a little while but if they lose and they don't fire them things are just going to get worse and worse and worse um speaking of worse you know purdue lost to Rutgers. uh jeff brahm is not that hot a commodity in my book if you lose to Rutgers, but what if nebraska loses to purdue and what if they lose badly well that's the interesting thing and and purdue lost 14 12 at Rutgers. i watched that game parts of it anyway, what I could muster. <laughs> and, it, and Purdue, which looked like a hot team, confident, full of themselves early in the season, looked just awful against Rutgers. They they looked terrible on both sides of the ball. Rutgers is hardly a talented football team. And Purdue is five and a half point favorites at home against Nebraska this week, which is just amazing. And it just speaks to what people think of this Nebraska team uh, it's not good. And, uh, if, if Purdue goes in there and lays a big number on them, that's going to be maybe lights out for Mike Riley, because I think people are fed up. Not only people are fed up that he hasn't done much in now his third season, but that Scott Frost is out there and probably itching for that job. Yeah. And I think they're in, correct me if I'm wrong. I think they're in an interim athletic director situation. Uh, no, they jared the water, the Washington state athletic director. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because we talked about that yeah. last week. See, I lose my mind on this yeah. stuff. So they've got a new guy coming in. Will he be comfortable enough to just say, oh, 
I've been here a week. Boom, you're gone. Um, I don't know if he will be, but keep an eye on that Purdue game because I don't know. I mean, Nebraska being an underdog there, somebody knows something because Purdue's not scaring anybody. Um, that could be another one. I guess I guess I, what I'm waiting for is I'm waiting, and I, I used to hate it. I used to hate when coaches get fired, you know, midseason. It never used to happen, ever. And then, and then it started happening. And then it started happening like a week before, you know, the end of the season. Like guys would get fired. I think the Iowa State coach got fired a week before the season ended. And I'm like, come on, just give him the week. <laughs> give him enough respect to just last a week. I mean, you didn't fire him for 11 games. Why you got to wait for the 12? But now I'm I'm getting itchy. I'm like, somebody's got to get fired. <laughs> what, what are we doing here? I mean, we're in week eight, and and I think we're heading into week nine. Somebody's got to get fired. So, and I don't think either of them will get fired this weekend. I think I think Tennessee's really made the decision that Butch is going to be their guy till the very end of this season, and then they're going to fire him at the end of the year. I don't know why. That doesn't mean it's no advantage. That mean they're not out doing an active search though. So you know, let him be the guy in the front here, and and obviously there's plans being formulated. You would hope. Uh, Knowing the Tennessee hires in recent years, maybe not, but uh, you would hope that there's some sort of plan in place once he's gone uh, to, to get somebody in there pretty quickly. And let's let's just mention once real quick, Mike Leach to Nebraska, just to <laughs> tick off everybody, because they get so upset when you say that. Like, like what what would we ever do with a passing coach? <laughs> uh, you'd, you'd win, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't run that. Tom Osborne offense. Just think about spreading out Iowa, spreading out Northwestern, spreading out Minnesota, and putting athletic guys against them. It would be pretty. It'd be cake. Cake wins. It'd be easy. Yeah, I mean that West is horrible. It's terrible. Both Maryland and Rutgers are both like, what do we do? Like, why do they have to be geographically correct in the Big Ten (laughs) when you know they're not geographically correct in any sport ever? And we got to be stuck in the East as the two additions. And we're never, ever, ever, ever going to win the division. Not ever. Because if Michigan State and Michigan and Penn State have it down here, Ohio State won't. Or if Ohio State has it down here, you know, Michigan won't. And it's just like, they're never going to win. They're never going to win the division. Not ever. Uh, uh, That's just the way it is. But they're cashing big, big, big checks from the Big Ten. So, Uh, And I I know Rutgers and Maryland both needed that money uh, badly. So. They made the right moves, especially Rutgers coming from the, the, you know, the former Big East and the American Conference. But, man, they just got put in a position. It's like me and you, um, you know, being the first two guys off the bench for the Warriors. Right. You know, they're never going to never going to go to the bench. Not ever. Kevin Durant could dislocate both ankles and he's out there hobbling because they're not going to put Fat Farrell or Short Gorney into the game. And uh that's what Rutgers and Maryland have become, the fat feral and short. But it's like me having the, to guard Steph Curry on TV every week. It just doesn't look good, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Because, well, you got to do that in practice. And, then, you know, but it, but the video goes viral. Right, right. And we've seen, we've seen you move your cat out of the room, so we can't even imagine you trying to cover. A lot of zone defense. <laughs> can't even imagine you trying to cover Steph Curry or anybody. Um and let, let's get to the big board before we get to the predictions. Mel Kuyper came out with his newest big board. We, we as draft analysts, uh, love other draft analysts, um, big boards. 
you know, we have great respect for our colleagues in the industry itself. Um, we definitely never rag on them. Because, um, listen, what do we know? What do they know? Honestly, I've been doing high school rankings for 20 years almost. And, you know, you get as many wrong as you get right. So these guys will all get offended at somebody saying that you're crazy to have Josh Allen at number six in your draft board, which is where Kuiper has him. Don't get offended. NFL teams make mistakes. NFL GMs make mistakes. NFL scouts make mistakes. And we've seen some of the big Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, and other mistakes. But he's got Saquon Barkley number one. Guess who had Saquon Barkley number one before that, though? Guess. Mike Farrell. And Adam Gordon. Yes. We did, right? Yes, we did. Now, does that mean he's going to be drafted number one? No. I think what it means is that Mel Kuyper reads Rivals.com every day. Well, he's got Josh Rosen number two, and I think he had Sam Darnold as his number one prior. So we had Josh Rosen number one and Sam Darnold number two. So I think he does read Rivals.com. He lost me a little bit at Derwin James at number three, and there's no bigger Derwin James fan on this earth than me. But he has not played up to the number three pick. I I would swap him out with Minka Fitzpatrick, who's number four. Uh, I think Fitzpatrick's the top five pick. Then he's got Darnold, number five. And you know someone's going to reach on this. So Darnold will probably go in the top ten. Josh Allen, number six. He'll probably go in the top 15. Like I told you, there's going to be four quarterbacks taken. It's going to be interesting to see how the Darnold stuff is spun because now he's a turnover machine. But that was the concern, too, with Deshaun Watson, that he had thrown a lot of interceptions. Uh, But it just seems different. With Darnold's picks, it just seems like the... That's because, well, he also fumbles every yeah, other play. Yeah, he's been fumbling a lot now, and it just seems like Deshaun Watson was the guy who would lead his team down the field for wins, and Darnold hasn't been doing that. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I think Rosen is definitely the best quarterback available. I think a team would be an idiots to take Sam Darnold over him. Uh, if you put... If Josh Rosen is throwing to very average receivers, he has a terrible offensive line, and he still looks very, very good. Uh, he did not look good at Arizona, uh, but we'll throw that game out and just focus on the positives here, because that's what this podcast is all about. Um, but if you Positive. if you put him on an NFL team with skilled wide receivers, uh, if you get him to buy into what you're trying to do, uh, he's the best quarterback available. I think we've seen that play out this year. Josh Allen might have the greatest arm anybody's ever seen but he's very average. Sam Darnold has has fallen back down to earth. Mason Rudolph looked absolutely terrible last year. Baker Mayfield, uh, there are some questions about how he w- his game would translate to the NFL. Lamar Jackson, still a very interesting one, but any pass over 15 yards, he throws about 50 yards, so no one can catch up to it. So I think Rosen clearly has emerged as the best quarterback in this class, but I do agree with you, and I'm starting to come around to this as I watch more NFL. Man, there are some bad starting quarterbacks out there. Horrible. Hor- I mean, Deshaun Kaiser's getting the start again. He's, I think he's been benched, like he's been pulled in four games and benched the other three or something. And, um, I mean, he's, they have nobody. There's nobody there. And, and then you've got the Josh McCowns of the world and, who are still employed. And there's just really some horrible, horrible quarterbacks out there playing football right now. And, uh, you know, it's such a, a need position that they are going to reach. There's going to be four drafted in the first round. But this is how I know Mel isn't watching football this year because he's got Mike McGlinchey at number nine, who's moving up from number 19, and he just hasn't been watching. Uh, now, run blocking, McGlinchey has been 
solid. Uh, Quentin Nelson, of course, has been much better, uh, but he's an interior guy, so I get the fact that a tackle is a premium over a guard. But if you watch the Georgia game, Mike McGlinchley, McGlinchey would not rise 10 spots in your draft projection for any reason. He got beat very badly on speed rushes over and over again, and that's supposed to be his strength. He's 6'8", he's long, he's 315 pounds, he's got really uh, good reach. Um, he's not supposed to be beaten by those speed guys. He's supposed to be overpowered, but he was beaten by speed guys. So I, I just don't think he's watching. Yeah, football. that's the question. And, you know, you look at Notre Dame's run stats, which are phenomenally amazing. I mean, 28 rushing touchdowns to one. I think they put up about 2,250 rushing yards already this season. And you say, man, McGlinchey must be the guy out there. And But when you do put on that Georgia tape or any tape where he has to pass block speed rushers, edge rushers, Guys making moves back into the middle. Uh, he is not a top 10 pick. He wouldn't be at the top offensive tackle taken off the board. Obviously, he has the physical size, great run blocker. But those would be very, very big concerns. And I'm sure will be exposed and dissected as, as things get closer. So where is Bradley Chubb going to line up? He's going to line up right over McClinchy, and he's going to get to the outside every time. I love Bradley Chubb. Against Louisville, he was absolutely phenomenal. He's been great all year. Nobody's been able to slow him down. As I've said twice on this podcast now, and we'll say again, he's this year's version of Derek Barnett, and uh, he's going to cause havoc in the backfield. It's going to be, I think that is one of the more interesting games of the weekend. Uh, and at least in my world, no one's really talking about it all that much. Uh, you know that all the good games are three, like last, like last, last weekend too. Yeah, and remember the second week, I think it was all they were all at seven thirty or something. Yeah, I'm sorry, last weekend, like yeah, they were all they were all at the same time too. No, but I mean that the Oklahoma's the Oklahoma Ohio State Auburn Clemson right. week week two of the season was just like night games. Why yeah. are you doing this to us? But that's what DVRs are for. I think uh, Notre Dame wins, and I picked them to lose to USC last weekend, but. uh you know, I didn't realize that USC just decided not to play. Um, I think NC State will be a difficult test for them, but I think their running game is going to be overpowering. I think they're going to win close one, 27-24 in that range. Uh, so I think NC State will cover that 7.5, but I got Notre Dame. Who do you got? I like Notre Dame, too. Um, they Their running game, it's, it's basically going to be – Notre Dame's running game against NC State's defensive line, and I'll take Notre Dame's running game to win. It's a home game. I That number is a little inflated, though. Seven and a half is interesting, especially the hook. That that begs you to – it looks like Vegas is begging you to take NC State there, which means probably Notre Dame is the play. Maybe a late field goal, 31-21 Irish. 31-21 Irish. Now, Penn State, Ohio State, this one's tough for me. You know, I predicted Ohio State would win the national championship. I predicted JT Barrett would win the Heisman. If Ohio State wins, they are in tremendous shape, uh, I think, to make a run at the national championship. If JT Barrett has a great game, I think he's making a move, especially if they hold Barkley in check. Um, you know, I, I don't have a rooting interest in this game because I love what Penn State's been doing. I have to think, and this goes against everything I – really think in my head the better football team right now is Penn State I know it's at Ohio State I know a lot of people think Ohio State's going to be angry from last year and they're going to come out and drub them by 20 I do not see this Penn State team losing 
in a big manner at all. And I think Penn State's going to win the game outright. Now that is bad news for Penn State fans because <laughs> you guys are absolutely screwed because you know Ohio State's going to win it. But I can't bet against Ohio. I can't bet against Penn State. I just so can't. let me throw this one at you. This game shouldn't matter at all for college football playoff implications because Penn State beat Ohio State last year, won the division, won the conference. Mm-hmm. Here comes the cry and, and was left out. So so if Penn State loses, it should not play a factor at all because Penn right. State's loss uh Penn State's loss would be better than Ohio State's loss. And so this game shouldn't matter at all. Now, will it? Of course it will. Um, of course it will. It's it's about pretty girls, man, and, and Ohio State's a prettier girl than Penn State. Yeah, I went to Penn State, a lot of pretty girls. I'm just saying, that's what it was last year. I know. It was, it was sexy, sexier to have Urban Meyer and his team, even though they got throttled and shut out by Clemson, and Penn State would have given them a much better game. Sexier to have Ohio State in How about this question? Like, um, let's throw this out. If Penn State loses closely and Alabama crushes Georgia in the SEC championship game, does, does the Big Ten get two teams in, both from the Big Ten East? I don't know. I mean, obviously Penn State would have to run the table. Because Ohio State has proven you don't even have to win your division to get into the college football playoff. Well, that's true. And I think the Big 12 is going to uh, cannibalize themselves. Yeah, I do too. Uh, the Pac-12 already has. Yep. And then you got Notre Dame. What if Notre Dame runs the table? They're not going to be left I out. I know, and they and they would have the best uh, loss of all, a one-point loss to Georgia. To Georgia. This is why everybody who says expanding the playoff, all those people, all those annoying idiots who say don't expand the playoff, this is why they're all idiots. It's going to take away from the importance of the regular season games. This Penn State-Ohio State game is a playoff game. You know, uh, essentially, Alabama-Georgia in the SEC championship is a play-in game. Shut up. Eight is better than four. Let's do eight. And I hope somebody makes it in this year that ticks off everybody in the world, whether it's two from the SEC or whether it's Notre Dame or two from the Big Ten, ticks off the world, and then everybody gets really, really pissed and says, we're doing eight. And then within two years, we have eight. And I don't think we would be talking about any sort of loss of interest. Oh, it'd be bigger. I I, 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 there'd be more. The biggest weekend in more. sports is the is the round of sixty four, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, and those teams are getting slaughtered by everybody. Of course, everybody would watch it. Who's going to watch more the the Tennessee Kentucky game or the first the the first eight of the uh, of the playoff game? If they were smart and didn't schedule them on New Year's Eve when everybody's at parties and you have 500 people surrounding one television and you had 500 televisions on, then you'd have a way bigger ratings than you already did. Of course, more people would watch it. It would be one more week of games. It doesn't seem like anybody cares about how many times these guys are on the football field. So put them on one more time. And then if you're the ninth team, you don't really have an argument. If you're the fifth team and you're the first out, you, a lot of teams have arguments, and so, of course, expansion makes sense. And just to let you know, the one person who's not at a party is Mike Farrell, who's in his room locked away by 9 p.m. on every New Year's we Eve. We once spent a New uh, Year's Eve together in Denny's in San Antonio, and it was really the low point of my life. <laughs> and what time did we stay out till? It must have been like 10, Yeah, it was right? like ten fifteen, I think. The ball was not close to dropping. I'm like, I am out of here. I don't want to be around any people. But, you know, in my defense for the last, what, 18 years, I've spent my freaking New Year's Eve 
in either San Antonio or Orlando with a bunch of slappies like you. Uh, I haven't had a normal New Year's Eve since 1996. So everybody can just pound sand. I'm in my room at 9 p.m. I got I got the, the chain on. I got it double locked. I got my TV on. I'm in my footy pajamas. And I'm watching the playoffs if it's on that night. I don't care. But you're right. They should schedule it on a different time, and they should also make it eight. So I think this could be the year. I think this could be the year. So who do you have, Penn State or Ohio State? Don't avoid I like. It. I actually like Ohio State in this game. It's a revenge game. I do agree with you. I think Penn State is the better team. Uh, but again, I'm going to go back to this, and I was wrong last week with Michigan's defensive line that got pushed around uh, by Penn State's massive offensive line. Uh, but I do think Trace Mc... Urban's going to find a way for Trace McSorley to struggle throwing the ball down the field. Now, he's going to be able to run the ball, and I think Saquon Barkley is going to be able to get to the edge and run the ball. Um, but but Urban is going to force McSorley to throw the ball, and it's not going to work out well. Well, and here's here's my thing. It's going to be 47 degrees and raining. And the last time there were rainy conditions, Urban blew it. I mean, not the last time. The last time a game really meant something yeah. against Michigan State in the when rain. He gave the ball to the ball like ten times or something. So yeah, I knowing I Urban and covering him for years and just following kind of his career in situations like this, he could go one of two ways. He's either going to go completely nuts and 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 blow Penn State out, or he's going to go super conservative and play for the fourth quarter. And I think he might go super conservative here. It just seems to be his his trend when, when games get tight, if things aren't going Ohio State's way early, he kind of gets really tight in his play call and his in his calling of the game. And uh it could be interesting because Penn State's gonna go go to play. I, th- they're not gonna feel good after that Michigan win. I think this is the game that they've really focused on. But I do think uh Penn State's the better team, but a revenge game and Urban Meyer involved, I think he wins. I don't know if they cover seven points, though. I think Urban's going to blow it. What do you think of that? That's that's a hot take. Thanks. Thanks. That's sizzling hot. I wish I had an emoji I could drop next to that, but I don't. All right. Other games, Oklahoma State, West Virginia. You got Greer leading the nation in touchdowns. You got Mason Rudolph who was uh lack lost trust of his coach last week who do you got I I think I think the uh, I think the reverse was true I think Gundy lost lost faith in Mason Rudolph and just started handing the ball off every play I loved Oklahoma Isn't that what I said? I, I said No you that, said right? Rudolph lost faith in his coach Oh no no, no. I, yeah. yeah no no you're right it's Gundy lost faith Yeah in yeah uh I loved Oklahoma State I thought their offense was unstoppable coming into the season I had even forgotten about two or three of the receivers that they had Last week was so disappointing in how they played that game. Uh, I know they won, but but still, I, I can't see West Virginia losing by more than seven and a half at home. They can put up tons of points. It doesn't seem like Oklahoma State's offense is clicking. I'll take West Virginia there. I think West Virginia is going to win outright. I think Oklahoma State, my Big Twelve championship pick. Uh, I'm very, you, you, as you could tell, I get very, I take things personally when teams that I pick play right. horribly. Uh, when Ohio State lost to Oklahoma and played horribly, I was like just over them and wrote them off after two games. And they could probably still win the national championship. Oklahoma State looked like garbage last week. Uh, I'm taking West Virginia. I don't believe in Oklahoma State. Uh, you had your chance to impress me against TCU. You didn't. You had your chance to impress me last weekend. You're not impressive. I'm sorry. My only so thinking there lose. is Gundy says, 
West Virginia can score, so we've got to score. That's that's the I, I would think that's the thinking. Last week they thought Texas couldn't move the ball, they couldn't score. So if we can control it, we can win the game. But if they come out running the ball all the time, like giving it to Justice Hill and just not doing anything offensively, they're going to be in deep trouble. I think we both have Georgia beat the Florida. I right? think comfortably, probably. 31-7, something like that. But uh, I think Florida's defense is going to put up a fight, but you could only hold the dam for so long because that offense is miserable. And Georgia's defense is one of the best in the country. And Kirby's not going to overlook this game. He wants to put a big number on Florida, I think. We both got TCU over Iowa State, right? That's going to be an interesting one. I, I definitely think TCU wins the game. Again, Gary Patterson up for coach of the year. Iowa State is tough at home. But I think they get a little bit manhandled here. I don't see Iowa State as one of the top two or three teams in the uh, Big 12. So I think this might be the weekend. Uh, so who's your uh, non-25 beating a top 25 upset? I got mine. Uh, I have Arizona State beating USC. Pac-12 after dark. USC's only a three and a half point favorite. They laid down last weekend. And I don't know if they're going to come back and just go out there and obliterate them. And that's the problem with USC. You don't know what you're going to get week to week. Arizona State's defense is playing like the 1985 Chicago Bears all of a sudden. And uh, I'll take Arizona State. I am going to go with Northwestern over Michigan State. It's at home. Michigan State's number 16 in the country, 6-1. and one, Good team. I'm waiting for Clayton Thorson to actually play well. Hasn't happened yet. Um, I picked them as one of my sleepers in the West. I'm still angry at them because they're pretty horrible at four and three. But I don't know. I just don't. I don't see Michigan State as a seven and one, eight and one, nine and one football team. Um, you know, so I think Northwestern has a good chance there. There's a couple others, but that's the one I'm going to go with. And I think moving down the line, we've we both talked about NC State and Notre Dame. UCLA is probably going to lose to Washington, even though Josh Rosen will put up big numbers. Um, Houston, South Florida, nobody cares. Austin P, UCF, nobody cares. Duke, Virginia Tech, nobody cares. Georgia Tech, Clemson, nobody cares. The, Texas I Tech, actually Oklahoma. care about that game. That'll be an interesting game because what? if Georgia Tech can run the ball, which they might not be able to against Clemson's defensive front, but if they can, they can score points, and Clemson can't score. No. Well, Clemson does have some offensive issues, but... Georgia Tech's not going to be able to run against that defense. You've seen that front seven. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is. And I, I know it's this funky triple option, and I know it's hard to prepare for. Clemson's coming off an off week as well. Don't forget, they get an extra week to prepare for this Georgia Tech team, which is very important. Very important. I, I think they will score less points than there will be chop blocks, <laughs> but I still think they'll score enough points to win that game. Now, they're favored by 14. Do they win by two touchdowns? Maybe not. Maybe it's a 10-point victory, but I can't see Clemson losing that one. Um, Texas Tech and Oklahoma is interesting. Either Oklahoma is going to win 60-10 to 10 or they're going to lose because that defense is horrible. That Oklahoma defense is horrible. Now, Texas Tech's defense is horrible, too, so this could be a high-scoring close game. Yeah, which was lauded as, like, the best defense in the Big 12 and what was going to lead them back to the college football playoff. Not very good. Not not a very good defense there. Not 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 so good. So, uh, I you know that's a night game in Oklahoma. It's the ABC game. It's a seventy four point over under. I could see a forty one twenty one kind of game, or I could see a forty eight thirty one twenty you know kind of game. I think it's going to be high scoring. Um, you know, I had I had hopes that Texas Tech had 
turned around their defense just a little bit, just enough for them to win some games. Uh, but apparently that is not so again. And so here comes four and four for Cliff Kingsbury and another average season. Yeah, and then my other one that I thought about was Arizona over Washington State as an unranked team beating a ranked team. I still think that could happen. It depends on Khalil Tate and how they're able to effectively handle him. But Washington State, you know, they were impressive early, but I think once they get that one loss, they're just going to start playing down to a You don't walk into Tucson and get an easy victory, Mike. (laughs) Not with Rich Rod making, (laughs) hold on, let me get back to his salary here. Six million dollars. Yeah, that's gonna that that's actually probably a game I'll end up watching late Saturday night as the as the wife puts the baby to bed, and, and I get yelled at for not being there. But uh, oh no, it's on the Pac-12 network, which no one in California gets. Um, but that's but uh, yeah, it's an interesting game. I think probably high scoring again. I think Washington State's defense. I still have faith in those guys, so I'm I think they're gonna pull out a close victory. All right, last prediction, Florida State-Boston College, who you got? <laughs> See, everybody that I've been following this week says Boston College is the team there. Florida State, you know, Jimbo's yelling at fans, and, and Blackman is fumbling the ball, and the team is down, and now after losing again at home, uh, they have to go up to Chestnut Hill on a, for a Friday night tilt. Come on, <laughs> if, if, if Florida State loses this game, seriously, there are serious problems. And uh, we talked about zero and six being a joke, but it, it's really not that far off now. The, Two and four if, is not if, far off from zero and six. If they lose to Boston College, oh God, help them! They'll they'll be death threats in Tallahassee. Well, Jimbo makes five point seven million dollars a year. He's got a forty million dollar buyout. So if fans will be ready to get rid of Jimbo if he can't beat BC and the Red Bandana Night. And BC would move to five and four, three and three in the ACC, uh, and the dudes of Adazio would be rolling. But uh, I didn't, I didn't ask the other question because I have to ask locally. UConn, who the heck's UConn playing? Oh, oh this got, is my this is my lock of the week, and I'm giving it to you here before uh, giving to you here on the podcast first. We're like a one eight hundred number almost. Uh, Missouri is coming to the rent. And Memphis put 70 on UConn there, and Missouri's offense is much, much better. And so I'm taking Missouri as my lock of the week, second week in, week in a row, and that, you take some Jones to take Missouri as your lock of the week, but they looked great against Idaho, and they're going to look great against UConn again. 13-point line, and there are, oddly enough, I know this is crazy, there are tickets still available <laughs> for that game at the rent. Uh, so that's a little surprising, a 6.30 tilt in East Hartford, Connecticut. So let's get out of here. Let's let Dave Barry do his job for once. For once. The night must and, be nice golfing on a, on a Thursday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, what, what the heck? Doesn't he live down near San Diego or something? It, it's it just wine country. He lives in Temecula, which is Southern California oh, wine country. So he's on a wine He's trail. having a Pinot Noir right now, probably, with some cheese. We're sitting here slaving away with hot takes. I'm sweating so much. I got so many hot takes in me. It's crazy. I actually sweat well, when I moved my cat. It was pretty sad, actually. I have to. Well, you did. You lost your breath for at least two minutes. I so. But I haven't moved. I've been like a, like a, like a piece of furniture. I have not moved one single muscle except for my right hand moving the mouse. 
So when I get up, you could, there'll be a lot of noises. <laughs> this podcast is taking a turn. I like it. I like it. All right. 55 minutes, our longest one ever. So we'll get like two people to listen to this garbage. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you on uh, Monday. Mm-hmm.